Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Mark Replacements Advisory Board Chair, L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. I am thrilled today to be joined by Professor Eric Goldman, who is Professor of Law at Santa Clara University and is also the keynote at this year's Marketplace Risk Management Conference, which is in San Francisco in two weeks' time. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Goldman. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Me too. I'm delighted to have you on, and we're really excited to be uh, hosting you um, and hearing your keynote in a couple of weeks. The title of that is How the Internet Improves Humanity, which is such a great title for a keynote. So it's uh, really exciting to have you. Now, first of all, before we have a chat, and obviously that chat is going to be not too many spoilers about your keynote, but also really, I think, giving listeners a taste of some of your ideas and also for people who aren't attending the conference although they should be, um, some, you know, thoughts to take away with them today. But first of all, you are an expert in internet law and intellectual property. Um, so tell me a bit about your background and, and how you, you got into this space. Uh, I uh, started working on internet law back in the early 1990s. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I fell in love with the internet. I said, that's what I wanted to do with my career. So I uh, joined a law firm in 1994, uh, right at the beginning of the internet dot-com boom. And my uh, expertise and practice really grew with the internet. As the internet took off, so did the demand for uh, expertise that I had. Um, And so I've been working on uh, internet law and all the complexities of it ever since. Now, you talk about the, you know, in the 1990s and, um, you know, I was using what passed for the internet then too. What sort of what did it look like to you then? And, and what were you actually interacting with to get your interest peaked, really? Because obviously, you know, in terms of maybe sort of social media, there wasn't as much happening. What what did the internet look like to you then? Uh, the internet was so crude compared to what we have today. Um, the uh, speeds were abysmal. Um, you know, I was working, uh, I believe my first modem was a 2400 baud modem. Uh, so, you know, the amount of data that I'm able to move up or down was trivial. Um, the uh, uh, In order to connect, we had to use a modem. So we had to tie up our phone lines. And of course, there was the risk that if someone called in, we'd be kicked offline. Um, and it meant that my roommates couldn't use the phone. And so it was just such a production to engage <laughs> with the internet. But even at that time, it was clear that all the main things that we're doing today were possible, even in that really technologically rudimentary environment. So I was doing email back in 1991. I was engaging in message boards um, uh, back in 1992. I was consuming message board content like Usenet back in 1992. And I wrote a paper uh, back in 1992, 1993 that is littered with 
Gopher citations, which for those who don't even know, Gopher was a precursor to the web. Um, and so I was navigating these content resources and able to uh, access information I never had access to before um, in, uh, in, in this really technologically rudimentary environment, um, all the things that we're still doing today. Did you get a sense at that time? Um, uh, I mean, I suppose this sort of would make you a kind of oracle in that sense, but I think that, you know, people do get a feeling about the future of something. Did you ever have a thought about how the internet would evolve just in terms of the, you know, whether or not it would become a, a place of you know, where good things happened or bad things? Did you get a, a sense of impending doom or did you get a sense of sort of, excitement or somewhere in the middle that this thing was going to be big and it was going to need guardrails around it or maybe you didn't think any of those at all I'm putting words into your mouth but I, I love the idea that you know somebody who has had a, such an impact on the development of internet law was playing around with it at that time and, and maybe you had a sense of what it was to become. Well back in the 1990s there was a sense of techno optimism that the technology was going to be a force for good and that we couldn't really anticipate exactly what that was going to look like. Um, and so there was some reservation about assuming what the future might look like, only because it's really hard to figure out how technology will actually be adopted and how in innovation cycles will steer the development in ways that um, are just not foreseeable at the time. Um, so uh, to me, it was clear that the Internet was a big thing. I might say the next big thing. There have been several, um, but it was clear that it was a big thing. And what was clear to me at the time is that it was going to fix a variety of social problems that we had. What I think was less clear to me is what new social problems it might create. But it was clear to me, and it remains clear to me today, that the internet is a solution to many of the structural problems we have in our society. Um, I always think that you know sometimes people got things right about you know, the future in, in technological terms and sometimes they get it wrong. It's almost like that Back to the Future film where, you know, it's like, where is my sort of skateboard that you fly around on? Um, you know, they didn't get that bit right. But sometimes I think you see things, um, are, are predictions that, are, that are, are sort of spot on. Do you think there was anything um, about the internet from a sort of technical point of view that you thought back then that, you know, I mean, make it sound like it's such a long time ago. It doesn't seem that long ago um, that, you know, you did get right. You talk about sort of playing around with sort of precursors of, you know, you know, early email because of messaging. Was there anything around that that you thought, you know, this could really turn into to something, um, you know, and, you know, become mainstream? Well, just as an example of how hard it is to to really anticipate the future, go back and watch science fiction from before, let's just pick a date, 2000. Um, so much of the science fiction is predicated on the difficulties we have talking to each other. Um, and nobody thought there would just be this internet thing that would allow people to talk to each other all the time with lots of information resources available to everybody. Um, that's usually a big animating principle of a lot of the sci-fi. Um, it wasn't until we saw the internet, we realized actually we can talk to each other all the time. That's going to be the easier part of um, the technological equation. A bunch of other things are going to be hard to fix, but that won't be one of them. Um, I think that was clear to me at the time. And, you know, it's so easy to go back in historical revisionism. I'm going to try not to indulge too much of that. I think it was clear to me at the time. And I think it was clear 
to many people that the the quote killer app of the internet, the thing that was going to make a difference in the future, was that people wanted new ways of talking to each other that were fundamentally a social people, and that we had a whole new set of modalities to talk to each other. And um, I think that's what I was most excited about back in the mid-1990s. I think that's proven to be true, that if you look at how we're using the internet today, at its core, the main thing we get out of the internet is the ability to talk to each other. Um, and I think that was clear even in the mid-1990s. Yeah, you're right. I've never, I mean, never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. And I remember what I was really excited about when I was watching Star Trek as a young kid was that William Shatner had this sort of, you know, kind of walkie-talkie style phone and he could speak to somebody if they weren't even on the planet with him. And that seemed just the most exciting thing, you know, about the program. But all it was, as you say, was, you know, just make it easier to communicate. And once we'd got that done, it was almost like, hmm, problem solved. Um, that's next, you know, what what is next after that? One of the things that I know that you have discussed widely is the debate around whether the internet actually creates or accelerates antisocial behavior. And obviously, some people say that it, it literally just sort of shines a light on the antisocial behavior that naturally occurs amongst humans. Um, now, I know that you have a case for a, a third narrative, which is absolutely fascinating. So could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So um, back in the 1990s, one of the core debates is whether the internet was going to um, cause new social harms that had never existed before, or if it was simply going to um, uh, provide a mirror on our society, shine the light on things that are already structural problems in our society, let us see them more clearly, but they're not new problems. They're simply problems to become more visible. Um, and it, the policy consequences are pretty significant between those two narratives. If the narrative is that there's new social problems, then we might very well need new laws to uh, fix um, uh, those problems. If the internet is simply showing us um, uh, problems that are already exist in our society, well, then we either need to look at those laws across our entire society or maybe do a better job of enforcing them. But it's not the internet that's the problem. There's structural problems in our society. The internet's just reminding us about them. Um, and I think that debate underlies a lot of the discussions over the internet over the last 25 years. Some people are always looking for the new problems. Some people are always pointing out that, um, uh, that we've seen a lot of these problems before. Um, and I want to offer that there's a third way of thinking about the internet that I don't think it's nearly as much discussion, which is that instead of making us worse, creating new social problems, that the internet might actually be making us better, that it might be reducing the social problems that we have, that the technology could be a force for good in a way that we have no other um, uh, um, modality to accomplish. And so a lot of, I think, the discussion would change a lot if we were to embrace the idea that there might be ways that the internet is actually helping us as a society. It's not just showing us the problems. It's not just making us worse, but it's actually benefiting us as a humanity. Because if so, there's a lot at stake with any of the regulatory policies. If we're trying to take technology away from people, we're actually likely to lead to socially suboptimal outcomes. Oh, just going back to these two popular narratives, which are, are, are very 
opposite, really. The one that, you know, that assumes that the internet either creates or accelerates the antisocial behaviour versus the, the one that, you know, where it mirrors it. Could I ask you, what sort of people think either of these things? And are they quite sure about that? I'm just trying to sort of create a picture around these two narratives and what I suppose what evidence do people think that they have that these ideas are, are right um is if that's a um, if that makes sense it, it does and yet it doesn't and it's really a sign of how far our regulatory conversations have gone off the rails uh, because you mentioned the key word there what evidence do uh, any does anyone have to support their narrative um, and what we're finding is that most internet regulatory discussions today have become evidence-free zones. There is no evidence being introduced at all. There's simply intuition. Or if evidence is being introduced, it's being introduced without any attempt to, to model the total environment. It's simply evidence being um, uh, cherry-picked to support the narrative. Um, so, uh, so, you know, you really get to the heart of the question and the heart of what I want to accomplish in my book, which is what evidence do we have here that supports these narratives? Um, and, uh, if we're not cherry picking the evidence, but really trying to look for, um, uh, you know, systemic, uh, phenomena, um, how are we going to do that in an intellectually rigorous way when everyone's got an ax to grind, um, and everyone's trying to advance their, normative agenda um, uh, in an environment where evidence may not be required. So you talk about the, this, this third narrative, which is unusual, I suppose, and you already said that, you know, it's not one that gets discussed as much, that the internet either increases or has the capacity to increase pro-social behaviour. When you say it either increases or has the capacity to I suppose what what I want to know here is what which does it sort of do both? It, it already increases the pro-social behavior and has the capacity to do it more. Is that what you mean? So yes, the idea is that the internet can take who we are as a as a species, and it can allow us to achieve outcomes that make some or all of us better. Um, in a way that we've never been able to do before. Um, and I want to go back. You, you mentioned the Star Trek um, uh, phenomenon before, and I actually do have a slide on Star Trek, which I won't show in my keynote, because, so it's not a spoiler here. Um, but um, uh, but one of the slides I talk about is the um, automated translations uh, that are now available that mediate our conversations when we're talking to people. Um, that was one of the most remarkable pieces of Star Trek that they never really dwell on, that they have this universal language translator that just means that you can run to a species you've never encountered before and talk with them in a way that each side can understand. Like, that's a really powerful technology, one that I wish existed, but the internet takes us closer to that. It allows us to be talking to each other, but even if we don't speak the same language, you might still be able to understand and communicate with each other. And that's a benefit of the mediation of the technology that doesn't exist without that technology. Um, so we're a little bit closer to the Star Trek world things where we can talk to people who we don't speak the same language because the technology is making that possible. 
That's amazing. I'm so happy that you have Star Trek as well. <laughs> we could spend the entire rest of the podcast talking Star Trek if you want. Um, I'm totally down for that. <laughs> I'm very much William Shatner era, by the way. None of the new newer stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, don't make me pick between Star Trek uh, <laughs> tracks, but but I cut my teeth on the old uh, on the original series too. It really did change my life. Yeah, totally. Um, now you talk about some um, studies, um, which I believe are from a sort of range of social sciences. Can you tell me a bit more about these um, these studies and, and what, what that actually looks like to, you know, the, of the ones that sort of can show how the internet has, has reduced anti-social behaviour? What, what sort of studies are they? Yeah, so um, the internet is a well-studied phenomenon. There's uh, dozens of different academic disciplines that are interested in understanding, modeling, and documenting how humans are using this thing called the internet in order to to engage with each other or accomplish their goals. Um, so, you know, it comes up in marketing literature and communications literature, anthropology literature, sociology, um, and keep going right through all the social sciences and many humanities. Um, the the uh, There's researchers producing studies all the time about how people are actually using the internet. Um, because there's so many studies, it's actually almost impossible and quite daunting, really, to think about how can we organize all these studies to make some sense about them, do a meta study of what we've learned from all the different studies that have taken place today. Obviously, I can't model all of that. But what I can do is try to put together some clumpings of studies that show different kinds of human behavior that, that um uh, just because you're not in that area, you don't know that this has been well documented over the last 25 or 30 years um, about what's actually going on in the field. Um, if it's okay, I'll give you an example of one study that um, that we discovered in our research that I think is just absolutely fascinating and that most of your listeners probably have no idea even took place. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Let me mention the community of people living in assisted living facilities. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes these are called retirement homes. Um, you can call them by a variety of different names, um, but they usually have several things in common. People are there because they're not able to do all the things that they need to do in life by themselves. And usually that means that they're isolated from the rest of the world, that they're in a contained living community where there's not a lot of movement across the border between the community and the rest of the world. Um, so within that community, there could be a lot of vibrancy, there could be a lot of social interaction, but there can also be a lot of other social uh, phenomenon that are, are alienating or isolating um, uh, by being there. Um, and so a research study showed <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, the research I showed that um, uh, that uh, access to the internet reduced feelings of loneliness among people living in assisted living facilities. Now, this of course makes sense. The point is that people want to talk to each other within an assisted living facility. There's a limited number of people that they can engage with. Maybe they don't even like all those people. Um, and there's a whole rest of the world that, that the people in the assisted living facility may not be physically able to access. But through the internet, they can now make a bunch of social connections that actually reduce their feelings of loneliness. Now, this is a major, uh, a major import to people in that community. But 
I'm not in that community. You're not in that community. Many of these li- your listeners are not in that community. We don't know what's going on in that community. We don't experience it. So the fact that the study shows us that there's this, this important social benefit that people in assisted living facilities are getting through their access to the internet um, reminds us of the stakes. If we monkey, monkey around with their access to the internet, what we're really saying is we're going to increase their feelings of loneliness and it doesn't really matter to us because we're not part of that community. We have privilege that they don't have, um, and I guess it sucks for them. And those are the kinds of little microcosms of community interactions that regulators may not know, they may not experience, and yet they're often affecting um, whether they intend to or not. And that's worth fighting for. I love the the positivity of this as well. And, I mean, in terms of the, the sort of implications for you know, internet law and, you know, for, for policy around, especially, you know, platforms and obviously that and marketplaces, obviously our, our world here at Marketplace Risk, it really does support the idea that the internet has to be treated differently. And, and, and what other implications are there for this theory? Well, it really gets to the heart of how regulators are approaching the, the their um, uh, their regulation of the internet, um, because right now th- across the board we're having this wide scale tech lash where regulators are looking for ways to take technology out of the hands of people. So, for example, we're literally got states that are banning TikTok in the state, or they're banning uh, the ability of of uh, children to use wide chunks of the internet. Just literally taking the technology out of their hands. And those decisions have extraordinary costs, both to the community at large, but also to various subpopulations where the regulators have no interaction or contact with those members of of that particular subcommunity. And so um, the implication is that we need to elevate the visibility of the different populations are benefiting from the internet so the regulators can take account of them, so they can recognize that there's opportunity costs to their interventions, so they can recognize that if they're taking technology out of the hands of people, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to be net worse off by doing so, and that has to be factored into the decision-making. Because if all the regulators are seeing is, we hear problems, people are upset about the internet, so let's get rid of it. Um, we create a, a, the, the wrong social policy. Um, so we're really having a battle for the soul of the internet right now. And that battle is under-informed by all the different ways that various communities are benefiting from the internet. And that's exactly what the regulators are prepared to throw into the trash. And it sounds like this is a really fresh perspective. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm really interested to know what else you're doing obviously you know coming along to our um conference in a couple of weeks is going to be brilliant but you know what, as part of your work and your projects what what else are you doing to to tell people about this because you know i'm without understatement my mind is blown because i think we sort of believe everything everyone tells us about the internet and i think especially when you work in sort of you know, this space and you hear a lot from sort of fraud prevention and, you know, risk management, etc. You, you you do kind of believe the, the idea that, you know, the internet is not a, a great place and probably isn't very good for us. How are you spreading the word, so to speak? Well, the book is the key part of it. Um, and it's really a challenging project for the way my schedule works, because at the same time I'm working on this book, I'm also trying to combat some of the really thoughtless proposals that are being 
um, uh, surfaced daily uh, by regulators, um, and it's across the globe. Um, so I'm always balancing how much time do I spend fighting the bad ideas that are being surfaced today, and how much time do I invest in a longer-term systemic response to all of those efforts? Um, and this book project is uh, really, I think, um, a challenge for me because I need the book today if I'm going to be able to fight the battles most effectively, but I don't have the book today, and I don't have time to write the book today while I'm off fighting those battles. So uh, we're in a very fraught time, um, and I'm just hoping, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we don't destroy the internet before we have a chance to really appreciate how much we love it. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today, Professor Goldman. And obviously, people can hear more from you in a couple of weeks at the Marketplace Risk Management Conference in San Francisco and your brilliant keynote, which is How the Internet Improves Humanity. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us a bit of a preview and have a brilliant time in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you. It's a real delight talking with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.